Thank you for the music tonight. Uh, Miss Gracie, thanks for playing on the piano and filling in tonight. You did a great job. And of course, Miss Robin and Miss Emily, always a blessing. You guys did a great job. Uh, Brother Tomlinson, it's hard to call him Brother Tomlinson. I'm used to calling him Pastor. Uh, but uh, go ahead and come on up if you would. Um, the Tomlinsons, I have known them for a long time. And uh, as I mentioned this morning, uh, a good reason I am the way I am today is because of the influence of many individuals. And one of the, as I said this morning, if you were to say the top five, uh, he would be in the top five uh, people who have influenced me uh, in my walk with the Lord and the ministry. And uh, many ways, he's been a Paul to me. My middle name is Timothy, so there you go. Um, but he, he's been very much a, a mentor, a friend. Um, of course, he was my employer as well. And I had the privilege of serving the Lord with him for 15 and a half years there at Liberty in California. And I've referenced that more times than you probably can count. Um, but uh, I thank God for that time that the Lord... Um, had us there, and uh, it was exactly where we needed to be, and uh, it shaped me and molded me and and uh, used that time in many ways to prepare me for this, and uh, and I thank the Lord for that, and I thank, thank God for their graciousness and faithfulness. Um, as I learned in Bible college, faithfulness is not measured, and I've said this multiple times to you, faithfulness is not measured in years, but in decades. And uh, Brother and Mrs. Tomlinson had been faithfully serving the Lord for 47 years. Is that right? Um, I think I saw that they gave you a 50-year, 50 50th anniversary coming up uh, for, for 50 years of marriage. Yeah, January, 29th. January 29th, 50 years uh, that they've been married. And, and they, they've all honestly been a tremendous example to Julie and I in our marriage as well um, in that time. And uh, so, I mean, I just, it's hard to really put into words uh, what this couple means to Julie and I and to our family. Uh, we certainly wouldn't be here today uh, if, it, if it weren't for, for them. And so, praise the Lord that God used them in our lives, and I'm thankful that they could be here today so that you can finally meet them, and, uh, and for them to meet you too. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for them to kind of see uh, this church, and, and uh, anyway, glad you're here, Pastor. And uh, it's all yours. Turn it over to you. Thank you, Pastor. What a privilege it is for me to be able to be here tonight. Open your Bible to John chapter 3, if you would, please. John chapter 3. And um, I just want to say that how much I love your pastor and his wife and uh, their family. Honestly, if you were to, if you were to, uh, if I were to choose the couples that I have the most respect for, without question, they're one of the they're one of the tops, very tops. I have tremendous respect for your pastor and his wife, for their family, and for how uh, just I couldn't say I couldn't I, I couldn't say um, anything at all that would be negative about them. Uh, for 15 and a half years, almost 16 years, <clears throat> we served together in one church, and really, I believe that Liberty Baptist Church is a great church. I believe God did marvelous things, wonderful things there. We saw miraculous things there in those 16 years. We really did. And uh, those, the things that we saw, that church being developed like it was, really so much of it was because of Eric and Julie. And uh, they, um, they helped me tremendously 
and I just have a great respect for them. And I'm so excited about being here tonight. I was not planning to preach tonight. I was preaching in Ada, Oklahoma at the Ada Baptist Temple this morning. And, uh, and the pastor, when he called me and asked me to come and preach, I had actually preached there 30, uh, 37 years ago in 1983. And now the new pastor app called me and said, hey, could you come back and preach for us? I, about time, you know. <laughs> I think he was thinking before you die, you know. And so, uh, so uh, but, but when he asked me to come and preach, and I said, yeah, I've got, a, I've got one Sunday open, and first Sunday of December I could come in. And so he, um, he said, I want you to come. And then he said, now, if you'd like to, I want you to preach all day, but if you'd like to have Sunday night to go somewhere else, I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to let you do that. And I said, boy, that'd be such a blessing. I've got a friend who's pastoring in Moore, Oklahoma, and I so desperately want to go visit him and listen to him preach and uh, see his people. He speaks so well of you. He speaks so, pro- so positive about this church and uh, about you. And so the pastor there said, it's okay, you can, you can do that. And so um, I texted him, I think, and said, I'm going to be in your Sunday night service. I want to make sure he was here. Because if he wasn't going to be here, I thought I might as well go ahead and, and stay with that first church and, and uh, do what the pastor wanted me to do. But he said, I'm going to be here, but I'm not preaching. You are. And I said, Brother, I don't want to preach. I really don't. I told you, I, I just want to come and hear you preach. He said, no, I want you to preach. And so normally I preach on missions, and, uh, and, but I'm not going to do that tonight. Because I just wanted to come and be and, and try to be a blessing to, to you and to him and to his to your people and uh, try to be an encouragement to you. He I had not planned at all to talk about our ministry, but he mentioned to me a little while ago that he mentioned to you this morning that I would give you just a quick update on it. So let me let me just take um, maybe a two three minutes on it. Um, at the age of sixty five. I left Liberty Baptist Church after 25 years of ministry there. My wife and I moved over to China, and we started a ministry called Barnabas 1040. Barnabas tells the what, 1040 tells the where. Barnabas is the helper in the Bible. He's not out front, but he's always helping. He's the guy that, uh, that, that comes alongside and helps. And so 1040 tells the where. So Barnabas is the what, 1040 is the where. And the 1040 region, 1040 window, was, that phrase was coined by a man by the name of Louis Bish in 1970. It's become more, much more popular these last uh, 10, 15, 20 years here in the States. But it, 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 it describes the area between twin, 10 and 40 degrees north latitude on a world map. So if you're looking at a world map and you draw those lines, 10 and 40 degrees, you've got, uh, you've got from North Africa going across the Middle East, all through Asia, of course China, India, uh, three out of four people in the world live in that part of the world. Three-quarters of the, of the population of the world live there. There are 68 countries there. They have the least access to the gospel of anywhere in the world. And that's what draws us to that part of the world. Of course, uh, uh, Brother Rupel uh, grew up in that part of the world. And um, the, the, the majority of the world's Muslims, Hindu, Buddhist, um, and communists live in that part of the world. There are five communist countries left in the world. Four of them are in the 1040 region. And so what drew us to that part of the world was the fact that you've got three out of four people in the world that live there, and yet less than 2% of, of, the, of, the, uh, of, the, of that part of the portion of the world claims any kind of Christianity at all. So 98% of those people are lost, and, uh, and, or more, um, are lost and need the gospel. And there are very few people that go there. So what we did was we moved over there not to plant churches ourselves, but to find national pastors that we could help. We work with missionaries like your dad, missionaries like him, uh, there, and we, and we help to support financially the national pastors. And we send the money that we raise here in the States to the, to the missionary 
who then provides the accountability and the, um, and the mentoring for the national pastor. So we're able to support national pastors, get them out of the nest and help them to go out and start plant, plant churches among their own people. And uh, God, we didn't, know, we, didn't, we didn't know how this was going to go. We just knew God wanted us to do it. And so we, uh, we said, we, we're going to do this. We're going to try it. And I told my wife, I said, sweetheart, for all I know, this is going to be the biggest flop we've ever, we've ever, it's, it's going to be terrible. We're not going to be able to raise support. We're not going to be able to do it. Nobody's going to be interested. And, and here's what I told her. I was serious. I said, honey, if that happens, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to get a job because they hire old people. And I'm going to stand there with my little vest on and I'm going to say, welcome to Walmart. How can I help you? And uh, I'm going to hold my head up high and proud because we know we did what God told us to do. <clears throat> but what happened was this. This thing just exploded. We now support, six years later, we support 110, uh, maybe 115 national pastors in 21 or 22 different countries. And uh, we just can't keep up with it. <clears throat> we travel almost constantly. And uh, in fact, was talking to pastor today. We've got to find some more people to help us with this. I'm going to ask your pastor if he's willing to resign the church here and, and uh, travel for me. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just teasing you. I'm teasing you. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding about it. We need some help, though. And uh, so God is blessed, and, and uh, the Lord has just done some marvelous things, and we thank God for it. Uh, it's, it's by His grace, totally, 100% by His grace. John chapter 3. Now, God created. I want to talk to you tonight about four indisputable truths for life. In John chapter 3. Um, there are some words we're going to look at in just a moment. But first of all, by way of introduction, I want to just say this to you. God created us with an innate desire for significance. We were created in His image. And even though the fall of man has marred that image, we still see, distorted that image, we still, see, we still have the image of God in us tonight. We all want our lives to count. No one has a goal of failing in life. Nobody says, my goal in life is to be a total flop. I want to be a failure. That's what I, that's what I want to do. I want to grow up and be a failure in life. If, that, if I can do that, I'm going to have succeeded. Nobody says that. We want to be significant. But in, in, in the, John chapter 3, four times the Bible uses the word, the word must. The word must. Four times this word is repeated. The word must. In other words, it's indispensable. You know, there are very few things in life that we must have. There are a lot of things that we think we need in order to be successful in life, are there not? We think there are things we think we need. We believe that, uh, oh, you know, we have to have a good education. If you've got a good education, if you've got a winsome personality, if you have good looks, if you're born in the right family, you've got the right pedigree, if you've got opportunities, then, then that's what it takes for success in the world. But here's the reality. The reality is we think that you need those things, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but history is filled with examples of people who have, been, who have been extremely successful in their lives, and they didn't have any of those things. Just one example would be Abraham Lincoln. If you were to poll the entire world uh, about uh, of the 46 presidents, uh, American presidents that we've had in our history, what are the top two or three presidents? I'm sure that, that George Washington, America, Abraham Lincoln, those names would be on the top of that list. And yet Abraham Lincoln didn't have any of those things. <clears throat> he, didn't have, he didn't have the pedigree. He, didn't have, he was illiterate. He uh, grew up in a home that was uh, not, he was not illiterate. His family was illiterate. His, his mother and father couldn't read and write. He, uh, he had less than one year of official education in his entire life. And yet he became one of the greatest presidents that we've ever had. In John chapter 3, there are four things that God says, you, now you have to have these. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have the right pedigree. You don't have to come from the right family. You don't have to have the right opportunities. 
But you do have these four things if you're going to have a life that's successful before God. Now, let me give you the backstory. The backstory before we read this is John chapter 3 is there's a man that comes to Jesus. He's sincere, he's religious. And he comes to Jesus because he's heard about all of the, 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 the um, uh, miracles that Jesus is performing. And so this man comes to Jesus wanting to know, who are you? And, and how are you doing all of these things that we're hearing about? We're hearing about these miracles. And, and we know that, 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 that they can't be natural. So how are you doing this? Here's a man that's very sincere. He comes to Jesus. And so Jesus then talks to him about some things that are indispensable for success in life. Look, if you would, please, at verses 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. <clears throat> the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So Jesus begins to speak to this man. He's sincere. He's religious. He's a good man. But he says, how are you doing these things? Who are you? And Jesus then gives him these indisputable truths of life. Look at the first one with me, if you would, please. Number one, you must be born again. Notice in verse 3, Jesus goes right to the heart of it. This is the first crucial step in success in finding true meaning and significance in your life. Jesus said this unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? He doesn't understand. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, here's the first one, you must be born again. You must be born again. Now this is the crucial first step if you're ever going to find true meaning and significance in your life. Uh, you've got to be born again. Why? Because without it, you can never have true life. You see, my friend, there are two levels of life. Look, if you would, please, Jesus spoke about these in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh, there's two levels of life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. First of all, there's being born of the flesh. That's your physical birth. The pastor mentioned earlier that all of us have had that first birth. That's the physical birth. The physical, physical level of life, you're born into this, in this world. It's temporary. You live a few decades and then you die. You're going to live for a while, then you're going to die. Only to be separated from everything good for eternity in a place called hell. That's the physical life. That's the first level. Then Jesus said in verse 6, there's a second level. Not only that which is born of the flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Being born of the Spirit, that spiritual everlasting life. It's where we will live supernaturally with, with loved ones, basking in the love, grace, mercy, and kindness of God for all eternity. You must have that second birth. The Apostle Paul described these, or I'm sorry, the Apostle John described these two births this way. Listen to 1 John chapter 5. Here's what John said about it. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. There's that, that second level of life. This life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So there's two levels, the physical and the spiritual. Jesus said you must be born again. My friend, without Jesus, you have no eternal life. We can never have a success, be a success in life without having been born again. You have no eternal life. You're a dead man walking without Christ. You are literally a man or a woman that is dead walking 
You say, well, I'm, I'm living, I'm alive. Hey, I lived that way for the first 20 years of my life. The Bible calls that being dead in trespasses and sin. Ephesians chapter 2. You hath he quickened or made alive. Who were dead? You were dead in trespasses and sin. For the first 20 years of my life, I was a dead man walking. I thought I was alive. I had physical life, but I did not have spiritual life. Now, here's the, here's the good news. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live and die someday going out into eternity without having been born again. You were, you were created for a purpose. God created you for a purpose, and that purpose is to love God and enjoy Him forever. There's something missing in every person's heart. There's a hole in our, inside us, and we're trying to fill it. We try to fill it with our, uh, that emptiness. We try to fill it with religion, with money, with pleasure, with achievement, and that's exactly what was happening with this man in our story. That's what was going on with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good man. He was a religious man. He was a sincere man, but he was sincerely lost. He had, he had the physical birth. He did not have the new birth. Look what happened with Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus goes right to him and says, Look, Nicodemus, you, here's the solution. You must be born again. Nicodemus didn't understand. He was like us before we're saved. We don't get it. That's why when I say you're a dead man walking without Christ, you would say, What are you talking about? That's what Nicodemus said. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus said, What are you talking about? You see, by nature, we want to try to, to fix this problem ourselves. We know there's a problem in our heart. There's something missing on the inside, and we want to try to fix it ourselves. We don't understand that it's only something that God can do. Look, if you would, please, what Nicodemus says. Verse 4, Nicodemus says unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? I don't understand. What do you mean I have to be born again? How can we do this? Can you enter in a second time in your mother's womb and be born? He's trying to figure out a way that he can fix the problem himself. There's, a, there's something missing in his life. But Nicodemus is trying to find a way to fix it. Verse 9, Nicodemus said unto him, How can these things be? Our first response to this emptiness on the inside is always to try to fix it ourselves. If I could go to church more, if I could read my Bible, if I could be kinder, if I could make more money, if I could have a better house, if I could have a better marriage, if I could have this or have that, something that I can do, trying to be a good person, my friend, it's not going to fill up that emptiness. The hole inside our hearts can only be filled by Jesus Christ himself. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. There's only one way to find that real happiness in life, that fulfillment in life, and it's this, you must be born again. That's the first must. Notice, if you would please, Jesus went on to the second one. There's a second, the second truth. Jesus must be lifted up on Calvary. Drop down to verse 14. Again, we see this word must used in this chapter. As Moses lifted up the serpent, he's explaining to Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, Jesus says, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can I? How can this happen? How can I do this? And, and Jesus said, you can't do it, Nicodemus. Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Nicodemus, you can't do it. The only way this can happen is I have to go to Calvary. I have to die upon the cross. I have to be lifted up on Calvary. Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus, the only way that this can possibly happen for you, you must be born again, but you cannot be born again unless I'm lifted up on high at Calvary. I have to die for your sins. 
The Son of God had to go to Calvary and, and, and pay the debt for our sins. That's why we look at him later on when he's in, in Gethsemane before Calvary. And there's the agony there. He's sweating great drops of blood, the Bible says. And he, and he cries out to his father. He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's some other way to do this, I don't want to go to Calvary. It wasn't the physical anguish, although, although dying on the cross was horrible. The crucifixion was a horrible, terrible way to die. But that's not why Jesus, I think in, in Gethsemane, was praying and saying, God, if it be, if it, is there any other way we can do this? It wasn't just the horrible, terrible, agonizing death of, of the cross, but it was the fact that he was going to be separated for the first time in all eternity from his father. God the Father was going to turn his back on God the Son. And God the Son was going to cry out there on Calvary and say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As Jesus looked at that, the book of Hebrews talks about he despised the cross. But for the joy that was on the other side, he endured the suffering of the cross. He despised it. He didn't want to go to Calvary. Not because he was afraid. Not because he was a wimpy but because of that fact of being isolated, separated from his father, that, that trinity being separated for the first time and the only time of all eternity. And Jesus cried out and said, My God, my God, as I said, why hast thou forsaken me? In other, in, other ways, in other words, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus said, Well, can I, what, how can I do it? You can't do it. I have to do it. I must be lifted up on high. I must go to Calvary. I must die for your sins. One of the things that they was thinking about this the other day, when Jesus was dying on the cross, you remember that the, that the Pharisees and the others came around and even the other two thieves were mocking him at first. And here's one of the things that they were saying. They were saying, hey, look at him. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. You know something? They were right. They didn't know they were right. They hated him. They were mocking him. But they were right. He saved others. Hey, you could save everybody else. Why don't you save yourself? You can't, can you? No, I can't. No, I can't. You see, because he could either save me or he could save himself but he saved me instead. He could either save you or he could save himself, but he couldn't do both because he had to die. But thank God, after three days and three nights, he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and he's alive today. And as a result, you can be born again. You can receive that new life. Now, up to this point, I would say that every person in this room, just about, Probably every person in this room, most people in this room, definitely, you understand what I'm talking about. You understand because you have been born again. And you understand that the only way you could be born again, you must be born again, and so Jesus must be lifted up on Calvary. Now I'm going to give you the next two musts. And in these next two musts that this Bible, that this verse, that this chapter gives us, um, in these next two musts, both of them are going to require deliberate lifestyle choices. And these choices are going to be difficult, but they're, going to always, they're always going to lead you to, to, to peace, to rest, to fulfillment in your life. But you have to make the choice on these next two. You have to choose these next two musts. You see, God has a plan for your life. 
And when Jesus saved you, when God saved you, it included more than just getting you to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says that God created you in Christ Jesus for good works. Philippians 1.6 says, He which hath begun a good work in you will continue that work until, uh, until the day of, day of Christ. So God's never going to give up on you fulfilling his, his will for your life. God loves you. He died for you. He saved you. And now He says, look, I've got a plan for your life. And I'm, not, I'm never going to give up on it. I'm always going to be with you, trying to help you to understand my plan for your life and trying to guide you and direct you. But these next two musts must be happening, <laughs> must be taking place if God's will for your life is going to be fulfilled. Both of them were given to us, not by Jesus. The final two were given to us by the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist. John the Baptist gave us those next two musts. Look, if you would, please, at verse 30. Here's the third one, the, the third the third uh, uh, irrefutable truth of life. Verse 30, the first part of that verse says this, He must increase. He must increase. Up to this point, John the Baptist was the man in the spotlight. John, you remember, was the, was the uh, person, the man that was, was, was called and was sent to be uh, the forerunner of Jesus. He was announcing the Savior. His ministry began by announcing the Savior that he was saying to the people, the Messiah is coming. And the great crowds followed John. He was a very unusual man, John the Baptist, very unusual man. Baptists are, are, are sometimes very unusual. And, uh, and John was one of those more unusual of the unusual Baptists, you know. And, uh, but, but John had great crowds following him. And he was preaching and telling people that Jesus was going to come. And then finally Jesus, Jesus the Savior does come and now it's time for him to be revealed. And John, and John was the one who baptized Jesus and John was the one that looked at Jesus and, and told the crowd, Behold the Lamb of God. Here he's here. This is the one that I told you was coming. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, from that point, when, Jesus, when John points to Jesus, baptizes him and says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. From that time, Many of the people who were following John began to follow Jesus. And so now John's ministry is waning. It's decreasing. Jesus' is increasing. Some people come to John. And here's what they did. Verse 26, if you would please. Verse 26, the Bible says this. Um, they came unto John. Let's stop right there. They came unto John. I've been trying to figure out who they is. I went up to verse 25. There arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Next verse, they came to John. Who's the they? Is it the disciples of John? Is it the Jews? I'm not sure who it was. But whoever the they was, I'm pretty sure that the they who came to Jesus, um, they had in mind to try to drive a wedge between Jesus and John. Because look what they said. They came in verse 26 to Jesus and they said, Hey, or to John, I'm sorry, Rabbi, teacher, uh, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, the one you said, Behold the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world, the one you said, This is the Savior, the Messiah. Here's what he's doing. Behold, he whom thou witness, that, that, that you bearest witness to, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Hey, John, all that crowd, those crowds that were following you, you notice your attendance is, is, is dropping precipitously? His, here's what they're doing. They're following him now, John, not you. 
Not, and notice what John said. I love, I love John's answer. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from God. You, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. I'm, I'm fulfilled in knowing that Jesus is receiving the glory. And then that third must. You see, John said, he must increase. He must increase. Now, if you're going to fulfill God's life, in, God's plan in your life, you're going to have to let Jesus increase. By the way, he must increase. It's a done deal. Jesus Christ is God. He is God in human flesh. He will increase because he's God. He is the creator of everything. Without him, nothing that is was created. Without him, we would have nothing. He is the creator. He is God in human flesh. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. Someday, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the Bible tells us. Someday it's going to happen. It's a done. He must increase. We can't hold him back. But it's a done deal. It's going to happen. But um, you and I have the choice right now to decide whether or not he's going to increase in our lives. I'm telling you, someday I'm going to bow the knee and I'm going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so are you. Everybody is. But I have the choice of deciding whether or not I'm going to do that now and let him increase in my life or whether I'm going to wait till I get to glory. Um, may I suggest that for, for me and for you both, let's do it now. Let's decide, let's make a choice that says, Lord, I want you to increase in my life. Um, I want you to increase. Well, how, you, you say, preacher, how do I do that? Must number four. <laughs> Verse 30. Here's how we do it. He must increase. How, John? I must decrease. There's only one way Jesus can increase in my life, and that is if I'm willing to voluntarily say, I'm going to decrease. In other words, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna demand my own way. I'm not gonna say, God. Thank you for saving me, but now I want to live my life. No, I must decrease. If he is to increase, we must come to the point in our life where we say, God, everything's on the altar. Everything, everything is yours. My plans, my dreams, my hopes, my family, my life. Lord, it's all yours. It's not mine anymore. I want you to increase, and so, Lord, I'm willing to decrease you know what Simon Peter said to the, to, to the elders of his day? He said, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Now listen to this. Be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due, hand, in due time. The Apostle Paul said this to the church in Rome. Chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The word beseech means to beg. I'm pleading with you, brethren. Paul said, I beg you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Put it all on the altar. 
Bring everything to him. This is your reasonable service, Paul said. You know what this is? This is decreasing so he can increase, isn't it? When I, when, I, when I come to the point in my life where I say, God, it's not mine anymore. It's not my plans, it's not my dreams, it's not what I want to do. Lord, what do you want out of my life? And I put it on the altar and say, God, would you take it and would you increase and I'm willing to decrease? Because if he's going to increase, I've got to get out of the way. We can't both increase. We can't both do it. He must increase, but I must decrease, or he cannot increase. It's a choice that we make. This requires being willing to humble ourselves before God, before others. Let go of your dreams. Let go of your plans. Embrace God's plans and dreams. He has a plan for your life. You say, well, I've got a plan for my life. I know. I do too for mine. But sometimes I have had to say in my life, God, this is what I want. But Lord, what do you want? I'd like to have stayed at Liberty for the rest of my life. I really would. It's a wonderful church. But that wasn't God's plan for my life. And if he's going to increase, I have to decrease. And so do you. The question tonight is this. Are you willing to humble yourself, to lay aside your dreams for your life in order to fulfill God's dreams for your life? George MacDonald wrote a poem called Obedience back in the 1800s. Listen to what he says. In this poem, George MacDonald said, I said, let me walk in the fields. But he said, no, walk in the town. I said, there are no flowers there. But he said, there's no flowers, but there's a crown. I said, but the skies are black. There's nothing but noise and din. And he wept as he sent me back. He said, there's more. There is sin. I said, but, but the air is thick. Fogs are veiling the sun. He answered, yet souls are sick and souls in the dark undone. I said, I'll miss the light and friends will miss me, they say. He answered and said, choose tonight if I am to miss you or they. I pleaded for time to be given. He said, is it hard to decide? It will not seem hard in heaven to have followed the steps of your guide. So I cast one look at the fields. Then I set my face to the town. He said, my child, do you yield? Will you leave the flowers for the crown? Into his hands went mine, and into my heart came he. And now I walk in the light divine, the path that I feared to see. You may be looking at what you believe God wants you to do with your life, and you may say, I don't want to do it. I'm afraid. You'll never, you'll never regret letting God have his way in your life. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. None of us knows the future. I don't know what twists and turns your life will take. I don't know what heartaches and disappointments await you. I know you have some because we all do. You don't get through this life without a broken heart. You don't get through this life without, without heartache, without, without problems, without difficulties and trials. But I know this, I also don't know what joys and victories are in your, fa- in your future. And they will, they will far outweigh the heartaches in your life. There are four indisputable truths that you must embrace and follow if you want to succeed in life. If you want your life to count for eternity, there's four things. They're not optional. They're indisputable truths. You must be born again. You must. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you need to come to Jesus and get it settled. You must be born again. And in order for you to be born again, 
He had to be. He must be lifted up on Calvary. And then once you're saved, you must, He must increase in your life and you must be willing to decrease. It's a decision that we make. So I would ask you the question in closing, is there a decision you need to make tonight? You see, three of those decisions are up to us, aren't they? You must be born again. That's your choice. He's not going to force you to be saved. You must increase, or he must increase. That's your choice. If you want Christ to increase in your life, then if to do that, you must decrease. You must be willing to say, God, I put it all on the altar. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's what Jesus did. Did he not say that? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless. Not my will, but thy will be done. Is there a decision you need to make tonight? Then I would suggest that we make that decision for God's honor and glory and for your good and for your family's good. Our Father, we thank you for your love for us tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to be here with uh, Pastor Johnson and his dear wife, their children. Thank you, Father, for this great church and for the way you're blessing and working here. I pray, Father, that you might take these truths and apply them to our hearts tonight. Lord, forgive me for going my way, for wanting to increase myself so many times in my life. Lord, help me to be willing to, to decrease so that you can increase, so that you can receive the honor and glory, and my life can count for you. And I pray what I pray for myself, I pray for every person in this room tonight. If there's somebody who's not saved, help them come tonight. Receiving Christ as their Savior, right where they are, just call out to Jesus and say, come into my heart and save me. I believe you. I believe you died for me, and I want to be saved. And then, Father, may your people say tonight, not my will, but thy will be done. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Pastor. If we want a life of significance... We cannot do it our own way. The Lord has laid it out for us in non-optional things here. You must be born again. If you're here tonight and you're not born, you have never been born again. Tonight's the night to get that settled. I read this morning about Miss Pat McDonald getting saved on a Sunday night in in this church service many years ago. Maybe this is the Sunday night that you need to get saved. For those of us who are saved, do you really want to have a life of significance? Well, in order to do that, you must let him increase in your life. And again, in order to do that, we've got to be less of us, less of our will, and more of him. The song that she's playing tonight is, Is You're All on the Altar of Sacrifice Laid. Very appropriate song for the message we just heard. Uh, As she continues playing that, we'll... uh, have a brief time of prayer and decision there in our seats and then we'll sing the song together as we close our service so as she continues to play i'll be quiet and let you have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat